Chapter 32 of the Life of St. Teresa of Jesus of the Order of Our Lady of Carmel. This is a Discerning Hearts recording read by Chris McGregor. The Life of St. Teresa of Jesus of the Order of Our Lady of Carmel. Written by herself and translated from the Spanish by David Lewis. Some considerable time after our Lord had bestowed upon me the graces I have been describing, and others also of a higher nature, I was one day in prayer when I found myself in a moment, without knowing how, plunged apparently into hell. I understood that it was our Lord's will I should see the place which the devils kept in readiness for me, and which I had deserved by my sins. It was but a moment but it seems to me impossible I should ever forget it, even if I were to live many years. The entrance seemed to be by a long, narrow pass, like a furnace, very low, dark, and close. The ground seemed to be saturated with water, mere mud, exceedingly foul, sending forth pestilential odors, and covered with loathsome vermin. At the end was a hollow place in the wall, like a closet. In that I saw myself confined. All this was even pleasant to behold in comparison with what I felt there. There is no exaggeration in what I am saying. But as to what I then felt, I do not know where to begin, if I were to describe it. It is utterly inexplicable. I felt a fire in my soul. I cannot see how it is possible to describe it. My bodily sufferings were unendurable. I have undergone most painful sufferings in this life, and as the physicians say, the greatest that can be borne, such as the contraction of my sinews, which when I was paralyzed, without speaking of others of different kinds, yea, even those of which I have also spoken, inflicted on me by Satan. Yet all these were nothing in comparison with what I felt then, especially when I saw that there would be no intermission nor any end to them. These sufferings were nothing in comparison with the anguish of my soul, a sense of oppression, of stifling, and of pain so keen, accompanied by so hopeless and cruel in affliction, that I know not how to speak of it. If I said that the soul is continually being torn from the body, would be nothing, for that implies the destruction of life by the hands of another. But here, it is the soul itself that is tearing itself into pieces. I cannot describe that inward fire or that despair, surpassing all torments and all pain. I did not see who it was that tormented me, but I felt myself on fire and torn to pieces, as it seemed to me. And I repeat it, this inward fire and despair are the greatest torments of all. Left in that pestilential place, and utterly without the power to hope for comfort, I could neither sit nor lay down. There was no room. I was placed, as it were, in a hole in the wall, and those walls, terrible to look on of themselves, hemmed me in, on every side. 
I could not breathe. There was no light, but all was thick darkness. I do not understand how it is. Though there was no light, yet everything that can give pain by being seen was visible. Our Lord at that time would not let me see more of hell. Afterwards, I had another most fearful vision in which I saw the punishment of certain sins. They were most horrible to look at, but because I felt none of the pain, my terror was not so great. In the former vision, our Lord made me really feel those torments and that anguish of spirit, just as if I had been suffering them in the body there. I know not how it was, but I understood distinctly that it was a great mercy that our Lord would have me see with my own eyes the very place from which his compassion saved me. I have listened to people speaking of these things. I have at other times dwelt on the various torments of hell, though not often, because my soul made no progress by the way of fear. And I have read of the diverse tortures and how the devils tear the flesh with red-hot pincers. But all is as nothing before this. It is wholly a different matter. In short, the one is reality, the other a picture. And all burning here in this life is nothing in comparison with the fire that is there. I was so terrified by that vision, and that terror is on me even while I am writing that though it took place nearly six years ago, the natural warmth of my body is chilled by fear even now when I think of it. And so, amid all the pain and suffering which I may have had to bear, I remember no time in which I do not think that all we have to suffer in this world is as nothing. It seems to me that we complain without reason. I repeat it. This vision was one of the grandest mercies of our Lord. It has been to me of the greatest service because it has destroyed my fear of trouble and of the contradiction of the world and because it has made me strong enough to bear up against them and to give thanks to our Lord who has been my deliverer as it now seems to me from such fearful and everlasting pains. Ever since that time, as I was saying, everything seems endurable in comparison with the one instant of suffering such as those I had to bear in hell. I am filled with fear when I see that. After frequently reading books which describe in some manner the pains of hell, I was not afraid of them, nor made any account of them. Where was I? How could I possibly take any pleasure in those things which led me directly to so dreadful a place. Blessed forever be thou, O my God, and O how manifest is it that thou didst love me much more than I did love thee. How often, O Lord, didst thou save me from that fearful prison, and how I used to get back to it contrary to thy will. It was that vision that filled me with the very greatest distress which I feel at the sight of so many lost souls, especially of the Lutherans, for they were once members of the church by baptism, 
and also gave me the most vehement desires for the salvation of souls. For certainly, I believe that, to save even one from those overwhelming torments, I would most willingly endure many deaths. If here on earth we see one whom we specially love in great trouble or pain, our very nature seems to bid us compassionate him. And if those pains be great, we are troubled ourselves. What then must it be to see a soul in danger of pain, the most grievous of all pains, forever? Who can endure it? It is a thought no heart can bear without great anguish. Here we know that pain ends with life at last, and that there are limits to it. Yet the sight of it moves our compassion so greatly. That other pain has no ending, and I know not how we can be calm when we see Satan carry so many souls daily away. This also makes me wish that, in a matter which concerns so much, we did not rest satisfied with doing less than we can do on our part, that we left nothing undone. May our Lord vouchsafe to give us his grace for that end. When I consider that, notwithstanding my very great wickedness, I took some pains to please God and abstain from certain things which I know the world make light of, that, in short, I suffered grievous infirmities and with great patience, which our Lord gave me, that I was not inclined to murmur or to speak ill of anybody, that I could not, I believe so, wish harm to anyone, that I was not, to the best of my recollection, either avaricious or envious, so as to be grievously offensive in the sight of God, and that I was free from many other faults, for though so wicked, I have lived constantly in the fear of God. I had to look at the very place which the devils kept ready for me. It is true that considering my faults, I had deserved a still heavier chastisement, But for all that, I repeat it, the torment was fearful, and we run a great risk whenever we please ourselves. No soul should take either rest or pleasure that is liable to fall every moment into mortal sin. Let us, then, for the love of God, avoid all occasions of sin, and our Lord will help us as he helped me. May it please his majesty, never to let me out of his hands, lest I should turn back and fall, now that I have seen the place where I must dwell if I do. I entreat our Lord, for his majesty's sake, never to permit it. Amen. When I had seen this vision, and had learned other great and hidden things which our Lord of his goodness was pleased to show me, namely the joy of the blessed, and the torment of the wicked, I long for the way and the means of doing penance for the great evil I had done and of meriting in some degree so that I might gain so great a good. Therefore, I wish to avoid all society and to withdraw myself utterly from the world. I was in spirit restless, yet my restlessness was not harassing, but rather pleasant. I saw clearly that it was the work of God and that his majesty had furnished my soul with fervor, 
so that I might be able to digest other and stronger food than I had been accustomed to eat. I tried to think what I could do for God and thought that the first thing was to follow my vocation to our religious life, which His Majesty had given me by keeping my rule in the greatest perfection possible. Though in that house in which I had lived, there were many servants of God, and God was greatly served therein. Yet, because it was very poor, the nuns left it very often and went to other places where, however, we could serve God in our honor and observances of religion. The rule also was kept, not in its original exactness, but according to the custom of the whole order authorized by the Bull of Mitigation. There were other inconveniences also. We had too many comforts, as it seemed to me, for the house was large and pleasant. But this inconvenience of going out, though it was I that took most advantage of it, was a very grievous one for me. For many persons to whom my superiors could not say no were glad to have me with them. My superiors, thus importuned, commanded me to visit these persons, and thus it was so arranged that I could not be long together in the monastery. Satan, too, must have had a share in this, in order that I might not be in the house, where I was of great service to those of my sisters, to whom I continually communicated the instructions which I received from my confessors. It occurred once to a person with whom I was speaking to say to me and the others that it was possible to find means for the foundation of a monastery if we were prepared to become nuns like those of the barefooted orders. I, having this desire, began to discuss the matter with that widowed lady who was my companion. I have spoken of her before. And she had the same wish that I had. She began to consider how to provide a revenue for the home. I see now that this was not the way. Only the wish we had to do so made us think it was. But I, on the other hand, seeing that I took the greatest delight in the house in which I was then living, because it was very pleasant to me, and in my own cell, most convenient for my purpose, still held back. Nevertheless, we agreed to commit the matter with all earnestness to God. One day, after communion, our Lord commanded me to labor with all my might for this end. He made me great promises. That the monastery would be certainly built, that he would take great delight therein, and that it should be called St. Joseph's. That St. Joseph would keep guard at one door, and Our Lady at the other that Christ would be in the midst of us, that the monastery would be a star shining in great splendor, that though the religious orders were then relaxed, I was not supposed that he was scantily served in them, for what would become of the world if there were no religious in it? I was to tell my confessor what he commanded me, and that he asked me not to oppose nor thwart me, and that he asked him not to oppose nor to thwart me in the matter. So efficacious was the vision, and such was the nature of the words our Lord spoke to me, 
that I could not possibly doubt that they came from him. I suffered most keenly because I saw in part the great anxieties and troubles that the work would cost me. And I was also very happy in the house I was in then. And though I used to speak of this matter in past times, yet it was not with resolution nor with any confidence that the thing could ever be done. I saw that I was now in a great strait. And when I saw that I was entering on a work of great anxiety, I hesitated. But our Lord spoke of it so often to me and set before me so many reasons and motives which I saw could not be gainsaid. I saw, too, that such was his will. So I did not dare do otherwise than put the whole matter before my confessor and give him an account in writing of all that took place. My confessor did not venture definitely to bid me abandon my purpose, but he saw that naturally there was no way of carrying it out, because my friend, who was to do it, had very little or no means available for that end. He told me to lay the matter before my superior and do what he might bid me do. I never spoke of my visions to my superior, but that lady who desired to found the monastery communicated with him. The provincial was very much pleased, for he loves the whole order, gave her every help that was necessary, and promised to acknowledge the house. Then there was a discussion about the revenues of the monastery, and for many reasons we never would allow more than 13 sisters together. Before we began our arrangements, we wrote to the Holy Friar Peter of Alcantara, telling him all that was taking place, and he advised us not to abandon our work and gave us a sanction on all points. As soon as the affair began to be known, there fell upon us a violent persecution, which cannot be very easily described. Sharp sayings and keen jests. People said it was folly in me, who was so well off in my monastery. As to my friend, the persecution was so continuous that it wearied her. I did not know what to do, and I thought that people were partly in the right. When I was thus heavily afflicted, I committed myself to God, and His Majesty began to console and encourage me. He told me that I could then see what the saints had to go through who founded the religious orders, that I had much heavier persecutions to endure than I could imagine, but I was not to mind them. He told me also what I was to say to my friend, and what surprised me most was that we were consoled at once as to the past and resolved to withstand everybody courageously. And so it came to pass. For among people of prayer, and indeed in the whole neighborhood, there was hardly one who was not against us, and who did not think our work the greatest folly. There was so much talking and confusion in the very monastery wherein I was, that the provincial began to think it hard for him to set himself against everybody. So he changed his mind and would not acknowledge the new house. He said that the revenue was not certain, and too little, while the opposition was great. 
On the whole, it seemed that he was right. He gave it up at last and would have nothing to do with it. It was a very great pain to us, for we seemed now to have received the first blow, and in particular to me, to find the provincial against us. For when he approved of the plan, I considered myself blameless before all. They would not give absolution to my friend if she did not abandon the project, for they said she was bound to remove the scandal. She went to a very learned man and a very great servant of God, of the order of St. Dominic, to whom she gave an account of all this matter. This was even before the provincial had withdrawn his consent, for in this place we had no one who could give us advice. And so they said that it all proceeded solely from our obstinance. That lady gave an account of everything and told the holy man how much she received from the property of her husband. Having a great desire that he would help us, for he was the most learned man here, and there are few in his order more learned than he, I told him myself all we intended to do and some of my motives. I never said a word of any revelation whatever, speaking only of the natural reasons which influenced me, for I would not have him give an opinion otherwise than on those grounds. He asked us to give him eight days before he answered, and also if we had made up our minds to abide by what he might say. I said we had. But though I said so, and though I thought so, I never lost a certain confidence that the monastery would be founded. My friend had more faith than I. Nothing that could say could make her give it up. As for myself, though, as I said, it seemed to me impossible that the work should be finally abandoned, yet my belief in the truth of the revelation went no further than so far as it was not against what is contained in the sacred writings nor against the laws of the church, which we are bound to keep. Though the revelation seemed to me to have come really from God, yet if that learned man had told me that we could not go on without offending God and going against our conscience, I believe I should have given it up and looked out for some other way. But our Lord showed me no other way than this. The servant of God told me afterwards that he had made up his mind to insist on the abandonment of our project, for he had already heard the popular cry. Moreover, he, as everybody did, thought it folly. And a certain nobleman also, as soon as he knew that we had gone to him, had sent him word to consider well what he was doing, and to give us no help, that he had begun to consider the answer he should make us, and to ponder on the matter the object we had in view, our manner of life, and the order, he became convinced that it was greatly for the service of God and that we must not give it up. Accordingly, his answer was that we should make haste to settle the matter. He told us how and in what way it was to be done. And if our means were scanty, we must trust somewhat in God. If anyone made any objections, they were to go to him, and he would answer them. And in this way, 
He always helped us, as I shall show by and by. This answer was a great comfort to us. So also was the conduct of certain holy persons who were usually against us. They were now pacified, and some of them even helped us. One of them was a saintly nobleman, of whom I spoke before. He looked on it, so indeed it was, as a means of great perfection, because the whole foundation was laid in prayer. He saw also very many difficulties before us, and no way out of them. Yet he gave up his own opinion and admitted that the work might be of God. Our Lord himself must have touched his heart, as he also did that of the doctor, the priest and servant of God, to whom, as I said before, I first spoke, who was an example to the whole city, being one whom God maintains there for the relief and progress of many souls. He, too, came now to give us assistance. When matters had come to this state, and always with the help of many prayers, we purchased a house in a convenient spot. And though it was small, I cared not at all for that. For our Lord had told me to go into it as well as I could, that I should see afterwards what he would do, and how well I have seen it. I saw, too, how scanty were our means, and yet I believed our Lord would order these things by other ways and be gracious unto us.